Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So we jump into the message. The Japanese have this term called karoshi, and it actually means death by overwork. It became kind of a popular term in the 1990s. Uh, when an increasing number of Japanese professionals were dying from heart attacks and strokes. And Mia Sato was a 31-year-old TV news uh, reporter, died from congestive heart failure in large part because of the stress from working too hard. Her heart just simply failed. A 26-year-old who was an executive coach for people, many who were 30 years older than himself, died of a heart attack as well from overwork. We, we may think that's just, just Japan, but Kiroshi has, I think, infected our world. Did you know that actually Americans work 137 more hours on average per year than the Japanese? Did you know that Americans work on average 260 more hours per year than the British? In fact, a lot of studies will say that Americans work more hours on average than any other country in the world. There's this term that's started to come out in some of the literature called workism. It, uh, workism has morphed into a kind of religion. Workism is the belief that work is not only necessary for economic production, but is also the centerpiece of one's identity and purpose in life. Now, there's some of you here who may say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a workaholic. That, that's not me. But workism still actually might affect you, even if you don't work too many hours a week and aren't a workaholic. Maybe you binge watch or you disengage through games or other ways because you struggle with the constant feeling that I'm not doing enough. Or you struggle with the feeling I don't know what I'm about in life and so you disengage rather than work harder. You struggle with guilt and shame that you aren't doing more, but you're still affected by this kind of national idol of work. Now, biblically, work and doing well at work and working hard is a good thing. Work was actually created before sin entered the world. The problem is when work becomes an idol, it destroys our lives. It's not just paid work that we do either, but, but unpaid work that we are also driven to do in life. Workaholism is not only socially accepted, but it's also encouraged a lot of times in our culture. I mean, recently, in recent years, we've seen an epidemic of suicide in part because of work-related stress. Even in the church, some of you may remember Andrew Stockline, a 30-year pastor of a megachurch in California who took his life in 2018, leaving behind his wife and three kids. Andrew had begun having anxiety and depression about a year before he took his life, and he went on a four-month sabbatical, and he came back from that sabbatical talking about the epidemic of suicide and the effects it has on one's family and the epidemic of workaholism, and he talked about emotional health, and yet 12 days after coming back from his sabbatical, he sat in his church office and killed himself while he looked out the window at his wife and three kids playing on the church playground. Andrew and his family and his church were doing really good things. But he felt the pressure to be all in, and to even to all in to the point of sacrificing even that which God does not want us to sacrifice in life. 
In April, May of 2020, yet another pastor, this is last year, I valued very much, work, whose workaholism and tiredness uh, resulted in, in his life and moral failure. He, he subsequently went through a restoration process and came out of that couple years of counseling and mentoring and coaching and help to be a really beautiful communicator of God's grace, mercy, and truth, and yet still the pressure to perform was too much. And Darren Patrick took his life, leaving behind a wife and four children last May. This hits home to me because of I come from a long line of, of really hard workers. I'm a third-generation pastor from both sides of my family. Sacrifice to do ministry is very well inbred in my family. My dad had six heart attacks at age 32 from working way too hard. I throw a lot of energy into the job. I keep working. I, 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 I can actually fall into working because it, it feels like it's up to me, and especially in this job, you would think that you would realize it's up to God, right? But I don't want to make this about me either, because it's not really just about me. It's not really just about illustrations of pastors that it does affect. This hits home for many of you as well, because these illustrations could be you. You've probably felt and dealt with some of the same things that they felt and dealt with. We work and we work and we work and we stay busy. And if anyone ever asks us, we say, we're busy. I mean, we never say, I'm bored and I need more to do. Right? Why? Because being busy means you've got an important life. And you have, a, you have things to do. It makes you feel productive. John Ortberg actually said, busyness isn't just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. I mean, gone for many of us are the days of 40 to 50 hour work weeks. That's a thing of the past. We, we carry our jobs around with us, on our, with us on our phones. We continually are checking them upon waking up. And even in the evenings, we're taking fewer vacations. And even when we do take vacations, studies show that more than 20% of us Stay in touch with the office while we're gone on vacation and away. There's a practice that Jesus did that pushes back against workaholism and our culture's continual pressure to perform, and it's called Sabbath. It's a spiritual practice. The Bible uses the word love three, uh, 310 times. It talks about the term the kingdom of God 162 times. The Bible talks about Sabbath and rest 668 times, more than almost any subject in the Bible. So today we're going to take a look at a few of those 668 passages, because we're not workaholics, we're not going to get through them all. And we're going to talk about and highlight seven biblical truths of Sabbath and how they apply to our lives. Let's jump in and start in Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to talk about the six days that God created the world. And we skip to verse 31, and it says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was an evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. So just think about that. God creates Mount Everest, the Great Barrier Reef, the Milky Way Galaxy, the Grand Canyon, and so much more. And on the seventh day, God rested. It, he Sabbathed from all of his work. He blessed 
the seventh day and made it holy. Think about it. God rested. The Hebrew word rested or Shabbat means to cease, to stop, and to celebrate. See, God wasn't exhausted and burned out by all the work he'd done. See, the idea of rest is more actually about pausing and looking at the incredible things around us that God has done, that we have done, that we've had the joy of being a part of and celebrating, enjoying those things. In, in miniature, it's kind of like when you, if you take a lot of pride in your lawn, when you, when you, when you finish mowing, you're trimming, your, you're trimming your yard, and you sit back on your back deck, and you enjoy with just a cold drink looking at the beautiful yard and how beautiful it looks. Or it's like when you finished a big project, and you take a, big, a breath, and you just go, it's done, and it feels so good. Which highlights our first truth of Sabbath. The first truth is Sabbath is a day of rest to celebrate. It's a day of delight. Sabbath is to be life-giving to us. We know this in part because God, after the first action of after creating the world, is blessing animals and humans so that they will be fruitful and multiply. His blessing is about being procreative, about being fruitful, about enjoying blessing and expansion and good in life. The same blessing is the same blessing he speaks over Sabbath. The Sabbath is to be life-giving to us. I love most of my job, and at the end of the week, at the end of the week, I'm usually tired. My energy levels are low. My emotional reserves are low, and my self-discipline is oftentimes weaker. And my optimism may be a little bit weaker, and my creativity is diminished. And Sabbath invites us all, me, all of us, to rest and to be refilled emotionally and spiritually and physically. Therefore, a great question I think that we could all ask ourselves that might actually shape how each one of us practices Sabbath is this. What can I do for 24 hours that would bring me deep, authentic joy and a sense of the fullness of life? What would make me just want to thank God for all the goodness in this life? Throughout the whole of creation story, we see the second truth as well. God built Sabbath into the rhythm of life. I mean, God built a rhythm into the DNA of creation. Our world has a rhythm. Day turns to night. Spring turns to summer. We have the rhythm of the tides, high and low. Our bodies have a rhythm of breathing in and out, of being awake, of sleeping. And, and since the light bulb and the smartphones today, the world has less of that rhythm doesn't it? Our world pushes us to go and go and go and never stop. You are not made to go and go and go and go. You are not made to work 24-7. You are made to live life with this rhythm that is embedded in creation itself. So how can we think about us going and going and going and not resting is, is going to happen without us losing our way in some way in life? You are created to live in a rhythm of work and rest. And when we don't rest, it's dangerous. We can't fight the Sabbath rhythm any more than we can fight gravity. See, what many find is that if you don't practice Sabbath, then illness or cancer or crisis or accident or personal or relational breakdown will become and force your Sabbath. As we move 
forward in God's story. Let's, let's go a little bit further. We see God's people having left Egypt and where they were enslaved and now making their way to the promised land, going through the desert, and they stop at Mount Sinai on the way and they get the Ten Commandments where God, for the first time outside of the creation account, actually reinforces this practice of the ancient holy practice of Sabbath for the first time in a direct commandment. Exodus 20, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment one. Then it goes on, commandment two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is under the water. Commandment two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, don't, don't, don't treat him dishonorably. Don't disrespect him in the way you talk about God. Commandment three. And then commandment four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within the gates. Kind of covers everybody there, doesn't it? And everything. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He blessed it and made it holy. Our job is to just participate in it. Not, not just to turn it into another day of the weekend, which leads us to the third truth. We are to keep the Sabbath day holy. Be intentional, because it's not just another day off. The Sabbath is not just to be a day off work where we pay our bills and we mow our lawn and we work out and we go see a movie and we catch up on everything we couldn't do around the house during the week and do all the shopping. Now, a day off is not bad. It's just not Sabbath. Eugene Peterson calls this kind of thinking about Sabbath the bastard Sabbath where we minimize and maybe even trivialize Sabbath by focusing on using the day as a catch-up day. And it can lead actually to confusion between what Sabbath really is because it can lead to confusion between the idea of relaxation with restoration. It can, it can kind of make those things, and they're not the same. Relaxation is not bad, and it can be part of the Sabbath, but it's not the same as restoration. So let's get at it this way. The difference between relaxation and restoration can be seen after binge-watching Netflix for the entire weekend. After binge-watching, do we say to ourselves, Oh, my soul is so alive right now. I am so at peace with God. I have more clarity about life, more clarity about my identity, more focus on where I'm going. I just have such a deep joy. No, after binge-watching, you feel numb but not replenished, not restored. You may be sad because the second season you just binge-watched the whole weekend is over and you have to wait another six months for the next one to come out, but you don't feel restored. You still feel tired. You still feel unresolved about the stress of life, tired thinking about re-engaging work and life tomorrow. It didn't actually restore you. The point is, I'm not against Cobra Kai. I'm not against binge-watching. I'm not against college basketball or whatever you're watching. Just to clarify, binge-watching is not Sabbath. Sabbath is a holy day, which means it's separate. It's unique. It's dedicated to God. The Sabbath is for rest, but not just rest. 
You have six other days in the week you can add some time to rest into. Now, we're not saying, hear me, we're not saying that you have to sit and read your Bible and listen to worship music all day. We want to put in experiences where we have wonder and awe and delight and joy in the good things God has done and and in God's presence. That could be going to church. It could be eating great food with your family, playing games with the friends and family, snuggling in a blanket with a good book, going on a walk, trying to do activities that connect you to life rather than disengage you from life. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is, to, is also this bridge. If you, if you look at it in context, it's the bridge between the first three commands, which are about relationship with God, and the last six, which are about relationship of love with our neighbor and our friends and our community in the world. The fourth commandment is, is this anchor point about the Sabbath, a, a bridge of how to give space to develop a relationship with God, our love for Him, and the implications giving that kind of space has for how well and how much better we have the ability to love our neighbor and our family and those around us as ourselves. Let's go further. Think about the Israelites for 400 years as slaves in Egypt, because this is the context they're coming out of. Generation after generation, your great, great, great grandfather and your grandmother all the way down were slaves. You were a slave, and if you have children, you know they're going to be slaves as well. So their identity is solidly established that we are slaves. We are not treated equal. We work whenever we are told to work with no sick days or vacation. It's kind of this mentality of work or die. Now, even though we may not be slaves and we may not have a literal pharaoh in our head, those same words, work or die, are things that we often hear. Now, you may have a boss that you think is that pharaoh, but, but most of us just have an internal pharaoh that keeps telling us to produce. Make something of yourself, it says. You're not valuable unless you do something. It's this internal slave driver that keeps us working nonstop in our minds, if not in our bodies as well. Which is why many of us have to distract ourselves in order to avoid those thoughts. God has a different kind of invitation from distraction in Sabbath for us. And it may take practice to get there in our minds and our hearts. What we see God doing for the Israelites is he sent Moses to help deliver them. And as they walked it out, God sought to reinstill their dignity so that they would know their freedom in God. After their salvation and deliverance has happened, God gives them the Ten Commandments. After. The commandments were not given so that they could secure their salvation and be the result of their salvation. They were not given the commandments while in slavery in Egypt and then told to live them out 100%. And if you did, then you would be saved and free. No. These commands came after they were already free, after God had already saved them and delivered them. The commandments came to show them what free people look like. It reemphasizes to us a really important principle that we forget in the Bible, that God loves us, and out of that love, he gives commands. 
He isn't a tyrant who gives commands but doesn't love, nor is he this permissive teddy bear who who says he loves but doesn't really love us enough to warn us of things that will be harmful to us. He just kind of says, you just go and you just learn your own way. You just go do your own thing. I'm never going to tell you to not do anything. No, he gives commands out of his love, knowing what's best for us. Yet commandment four, keep the Sabbath I think is the one commandment we brag most about breaking. We're always so busy. We don't have time for Sabbath. I mean, think about it. We don't do that with any other, any other commandments. You don't hear anybody saying, did you know I committed murder? Oh, well. Did you know I've been having an adulterous relationship for five months? Oh, well. No, nobody says that, right? But we're flipping. We're not flipping about those other commandments, but we are about this keeping of the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, we see the commandment shared again to a new generation. That's the reason the word Deuteronomy is there. Deutero means second, and nom means law. It's the second giving of the law to these people who no longer had a recognition or hadn't personally experienced being slaves. It's their family members. The first time the commandment was given, the people had been slaves. And they were reminded of how God created the heavens and the earth so they were to imitate God and live in the way he designed us to live. In Deuteronomy, God emphasizes that point again because they haven't experienced slavery. They've been free now for a while. And he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we keep this Sabbath not just because God did, but because this is what free people do. If you are having a difficult time living restfully, you are not free. You are enslaved to that inside Pharaoh that's probably driving you. Many will look at Sabbath, though, in three ways, right? We'll see the Sabbath, and we'll look at it, first the way as a lot of people look at it, legalistic. And there's a history behind this that we understand. That happened in Jesus' day a lot, and we even see it today, that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath but read the Bible and sit in a chair. No fun. Nothing but duty and sit. It even goes to the point... I know of a circumstance where there were people who were originally practicing the Sabbath and they had front controls on their gas, the gas stove in the kitchen and sometimes the kids would run by and they'd accidentally bump those controls. It had turned the gas burner on and they had to call the neighbors over to turn the gas burner off because it was work for them to do that. I'm not sure why it was less work to call the neighbors, but, you know, it gets legalistic and sometimes we look at it and go, yeah, I don't want to be that, Right? For some of us, we, we just look at it as the Sabbath command is irrelevant. And for some, that irre- irrelevant thing comes from falling into a trap of saying, we're under a new covenant. It's a new covenant. We don't have to do the old covenant. But that's a mistaken misinterpretation of what the new covenant means. The fullness of the gift of grace comes in the new covenant through Jesus. And that actually only elevates the gift that Sabbath rest is to us. The New Testament makes that extremely clear in the book of Hebrews. Strongly points out Sabbath is even more beautiful now that we have the perfection of the gift of grace from God in Jesus. Another thing that makes us ignore Sabbath, I think, is probably more my issue. Maybe many of you relate to this too. The idea that you need to earn your rest. 
If I don't get my stuff done, I just need to keep working. I don't always recognize that internal pharaoh in me, but I tend to assume it was my fault. I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't focused enough, I didn't work hard enough to get everything done, so I just need to work harder and longer. Which leads us to the fourth truth. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work, but a gift reminding us that we cannot earn our salvation. Going back to Genesis, Adam's first full day, he was created on the sixth day, sometime during that sixth day, so his first full day is the seventh day. It was Sabbath. His first day was a day of rest. Can you imagine getting a new job and going there and they say, hey, just take the day off and go celebrate and we're going to pay you anyway on your first day. Adam didn't earn his first day of Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift God gives us. The fifth truth, Sabbath reminds us that our work will remain incomplete. You know, we stop for Sabbath even when there's another email to send, another person to call us, another load of laundry that still needs to be done. Why? Because there will always be something more on our to-do list. So when does it end? You've seen these cooking competition shows, you know, the competitions where they give you one hour to make something, then it's done, and at the end of the hour, the clock goes off, and it doesn't matter whether you're done or not, you're done. Can't put any more garnish, nothing on it. If you do, it's a violation. You just have to say, I'm done, and step away, even when it's incomplete. See, that's what we do when we practice Sabbath. We stop, we let it go. You'll never get it all done. And that's okay. It's a reminder that we will leave this earth and not get everything done. The sixth truth. Sabbath helps us be present instead of just being driven for the future and what we can produce. I remember Wendy watching the movie Avatar years ago and her big takeaway from the film was, wouldn't it be amazing if we could be put in that sleep mode in our bodies and still be able to work and get all that stuff done? You remember that part of the movie? She's kind of viewed sleep as a, as a result of the fall, right? Consequence of the fall. That's not accurate biblically, but I think that's the way she does it. She is readily open with her struggle to want to produce. For all of us, Sabbath is an invitation to be, to just be present with God, ourselves, and others. That's what the practice of silence was encouraging the last few weeks, and Sabbath is expanding that time to even allow us to be more present, stopping from making things happen. That may look like enjoying the sunshine, taking a walk and enjoying the trees, being with a friend, sitting with your kid watching a caterpillar crawl across the patio. To not have anything productive have to come from that moment. Just being with yourself, with a friend, with your family, with God. See, the truth is that kind of being may actually, according to studies, make you more productive in the end. Following God's rhythm can make us more productive in the long run. But that's not the goal. We are resisting the idol of productivity by choosing to trust God and rest as he designed us to live. Choosing to rest in him by simply being present. And of course we have to have the seventh truth truth because the Sabbath day is the seventh day so we have to have seven points, right? Sabbath reminds us we are not God. 
We can stop and pause and take a Sabbath, and the world is going to go on without us, and it's going to be just fine. God gives us this powerful word in Colossians 1. It says, And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. Sabbath reminds us how God is the one who is holding all things together. We don't have to play God. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to be in control. He is effortlessly holding all things together. I love it in New York. There are two, in New York City, there are two statues at the heart of New York that I think powerfully illustrate this. One is in front of the Rockefeller Center. It's the statue of Atlas, who was cursed by the gods to bear the weight of the world on the soldiers' shoulders. And I think that looks a lot like a lot of us on a regular basis. We try to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, try to hold everything up, try to control everything. And then right across the street in St. Patrick's Cathedral, there is a statue of Jesus as a boy also carrying the world, which looks like a little orb in his hand. So, unlike Atlas, this little boy Jesus, the kindergarten Jesus, is effortlessly holding the world. And these two images illustrate for us all the choice each and every one of us has in life. Do I want to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders? Or do I want to learn to rest and abide, and let God carry the world and all of my concerns, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, everything I long for, do I want to just let him carry that and I rest in him? See, the invitation of the Sabbath is for our souls to find a deep rest in God, to use this day or whatever day we practice Sabbath on as a time to exchange our fatigue, exchange our unrest for rest, we can only find in Jesus. To practice Sabbath without, with, without this focus on God, the one who brings the rest, it's just simply distracting ourselves. Not giving space for the creator of the Sabbath to give us his rest that restores and strengthens us. So let's just talk briefly about some action steps for this week while the worship team comes on up. Practicing Sabbath is not going to spontaneously happen for us. just won't. We have to plan for it, just like we would plan for a vacation or some other event. If not, it will end up being more like, as Eugene Peterson said, a bastard Sabbath. These are tips. They're gonna, we're going to actually put some tips together in a handout. They're already in a handout. As soon as the message today gets edited and posted for the ongoing place on our website sometime later today or tomorrow, you'll be able to download this handout for yourselves. And just some tips about how you can think about practicing and preparing for Sabbath. But, but think just with me just for a moment what, what preparing for Sabbath might look like. It might look like we plan the meals ahead of time. We do the grocery shopping ahead of time. It might look like we even maybe do some of the cooking ahead of time. We do our chores on a different day. Allowing yourself maybe on that day to be able to turn your phone off for the whole day and put it aside or just not answer it. Prepare so that you are ready to really enjoy a day of delight. There's always another email, always another person to call, always another task to be done. There's a bottomless black hole that we're facing in our worlds every day. Just leave it. Leave it undone. Sabbath reminds us weekly 
that the world survives without us for a day. The kids are still alive, and we're reminded that God is incredibly capable. And therefore, it gives us even perspective that all the turmoil, all the fighting, all the confusion going on in the world, that it's not really that important. Life goes on because God, not you and I, is the author of life. See, many of us are exhausted and many of us are tired. And it's more than situational. Your soul is tired too. So whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, God wants to meet you in the spiritual practice of Sabbath and refresh your life in very personal ways. You need to experience more of God. For some, maybe many, let's just start small. Maybe for you, it's starting by taking a half a day. For some of you, your jobs don't allow you a full day. Maybe, maybe you work toward two half days or two longer evenings or just something that you set aside to truly Sabbath. I want to invite you in this moment right now, whether you're here, whether you're listening online, to just sit, take a deep breath, and, and maybe you want to pray out loud with me, maybe you want to pray under your breath and just say, God, thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath. Lord, I pray that you would help me. I pray that you'd help all of us learn to rest in you more this year and discover the beauty of all of your gifts, especially the gift of Sabbath rest and replenishment. And Holy Spirit, I just, I just invite you to come right now to wherever we're at, whoever we're, whoever's listening, whatever's going on in our world, the pressures, the stress that we're feeling, the things that we, we're just feeling just such a desperate need to have control over. And Lord, would you help each one of us just give it to you right now. Just lay it down. And for the rest of this day, would you help us to walk into that place of rest and trust and joy being present with our family, with you, with our friends, with whatever is going on. Just, just a fullness of joy and replenishment today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.